my name is Miranda Sawyer. This is Alice Lerr. Fabulous Alice Lerr. <laughs> um, and um, we're here to talk about uh, Tina Goes Shopping and other things, which Alice has uh, chosen. So I really enjoyed that. I have to say that I've only ever seen um, Tina go shopping on kind of YouTube really small. Yeah. So it's really nice to see it on a on a big screen. Yeah. It makes it even funnier, I it, think. Yeah, definitely. It is really hilarious. Seeing it with a live audience is like, yeah. you realise the editing is really sharp, actually. It's one of the best things about it is like the punchlines. Yeah, just it just goes straight in. Amazing. Yeah. There's um. I suppose we should kind of rewind. Do you want to tell us um, when you first saw it, why you liked it and why you picked it? So, um, I, this, it was made in 1999. Mm -hmm. I think I must have seen it probably in 2000 on television. I think it was on Channel 4. Yeah. Um, I, and um, I was just blown away by it. I just stumbled on it. Mm -hmm. Didn't really know what I was watching or why. <laughs> and... Um, I just thought it was so funny and so refreshing and there were so many images that stayed with me of the cow and the wedding dress and this character actually this the female bubbles. oh that was amazing <laughs> see that got an amazing laugh and I don't yeah. I don't really notice that when I watched it again recently by myself but such a great sort of visual reveal um but yeah I I uh I just thought who is this woman making this film yeah. making these films and um watched the sequel then afterwards, which I then made a date of like, I have to watch the next yeah, one. Yeah. Um, and I was sort of telling people I knew, did you see this thing? Like, and um, you know, obviously there was a bit of a buzz about Penny Walcock and what she was doing. And I yeah. sort of found out a little bit more about her work then. Yeah, she's kind of amazing. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm sure some of you know about this, but I think we should kind of talk about it. So Penny Walcock um, grew up in Argentina and she, when she, grew up, she, her uh, father worked in Argentina and he, they kind of lived a very British life. So she went to a kind of British school and they didn't speak Spanish and stuff. And the thing that I've always found interesting about her is she basically rebelled and, uh, and ran away and ended up going to uh, Europe and to, and to Britain. And if you look at her work ever since, so if you look at Tina Go Shopping and One Day and all, all things like that, she embeds herself in communities quite often. She does do other stuff, but quite often she embeds herself in a community and makes work out of that. So Tina Go Shopping, she went to the estate and she didn't know anybody there and she just hung out around in the estate um, until people saying that she wanted to make a film, until people started talking back to her and supposedly Queenie was the person who kind of uh, eventually said okay and accepted her and took her in. But I think that kind of idea of embedding yourself is really amazing given that she was kind of alienated from her environment when she was really young. Yeah, because I just assumed she'd grown up in Leeds. I, I know, it's imagine amazing. that she wasn't from that environment and it was something that she'd got, had a burning passion to make her whole life. And so, yeah, it is extraordinary. But, you know, maybe that sort of slightly alien, you know, someone coming in from the outside gave it that kind of benefit of uh, bringing out what, what the essence of it is because it's so human. It's, I think that was when I watched it, you know, you could expect to be alienated by that. You know, they've got a whole amorality. I was going to say morality, but, uh, you know, their culture <laughs> is, you know... It's so funny when the dad's going, look after yourself, be safe. And, yeah. and he's not saying, he's like, be good. He's, he's not saying, 
don't steal. (laughs) (laughs) It's saying steal, but just don't get caught. And it's just this different, so you're being introduced into a different culture and a different set of rules. And um, I definitely picked up some shoplifting techniques from watching it. (laughs) Not that I use them. The the, the thing I was really impressed with, and I I remain still really impressed with, is the deafness of of kind of taking off those um, things off the clothes. Because I have bought clothes and taken them home by mistake because I'm a good girl. They've still got those things on. They're really hard to get off. Yeah, They're really difficult. They wreck your clothes. She's really amazing. Yeah, I think you have to have a special tool that's got yeah, magnet that, in it, apparently. Yeah, that I'm, <laughs> yes, exactly. But the you clearly know. scenes is really stuck in my head. I was really like, oh, that's how people do it. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, there's something sort of really... I think also just the fact that it's everything. There's humour, there's drama, there's sort of horror in it as well. There's violence and all of it comes together in this kind of very humane sort of package. So it's really unalienating. You don't watch it and go, oh, these dreadful people, aren't they awful? You sort of feel like you're one of them and that you even want to be part of their their gang. You know, you want to be their friend by the end of it. And, um, And I also just felt like, Kelly's character she's a hero there's something so heroic about that and I think I'd seen films that were kind of social realism or whatever but um, I felt that there was a sort of positivity about her character as well that um, was sort of uplifting in its own way you know yeah and she did go on eventually to be to become an actor as well I think there's a really interesting point as well which I hadn't kind of thought of but when we were watching on the big screen I really thought about it so Penny Walcott also is an artist and she started off you know she did many kind of um, I suppose everyday uh, kind of jobs because she had a young child and she moved to Oxford and she was just doing normal jobs um, and then she she became an artist and there is a moment in the pub when Don is talking about essentially talking about Damien Hurst about chopping (laughs) chopping a cow in half meanwhile of course a cow is being chopped in half but um, there's a kind of there's a little bit of a kind of parallel of art going on as well I think because he talks about Henry Moore and and uh, Damien Hurst and what's good and what isn't really while somebody is actually chopping a cow in half (laughs) in real life (laughs) I think it's quite an interesting genre as well because if you think about it it's so it's real, but it's not real, isn't it? Yeah. So it's at, like people are talking to camera or they're, they're voiceovering. Yeah. And um, it's scripted reality, instead, yeah. I suppose. Yeah. Um, the interesting thing for me is you look at something like that, which is quite, I mean, scripted reality has been around for a while, but it's quite early. And you end up with kind of, um, uh, I want to say the only way is Essex, but also that Chelsea, pro- Made in Chelsea. <laughs> and you think it's kind of so weird that, the, the kind of lineage of that. Yeah, I mean, it's really gracefully done that because as someone who's had to pitch comedy ideas and various different ideas, the stupid conversations you can get into of them going, well, do they talk to camera? Why do they talk to camera? Do they know that someone's making the film or do they not know that someone's making the film? And this, you sort of don't question it. You don't really care because there's times where, you know, Don is talking to the camera and it's very obvious that he knows there's someone interviewing him. And then there's other points when there's private stuff going on that there wouldn't be a camera crew there. There wouldn't be a camera crew when Aaron and Lucy are sort of, you know, about to get it on. Mm. I think that's a bit of a mystery about the film. I was like, did they shag or not? Because, like, Lucy gets... She gets away with it, doesn't she? Yeah. Um, With the hair clip. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, yeah, I think there's... um, It's all just done really elegantly in, in a way that I think a lot of other things probably benefited from. I mean... 
I kind of watched it again. I was like, Shane Meadows, it's Shane Meadows stuff. But actually, this is five years before Dead Man's Shoes. So, you know, not to say there weren't a lot of people around using that technique, but I think the skill with which it's done is, is so graceful and elegant and there's no kind of... Um, there's no fat to it at all. It's so lean and paced and... Um, and also what I like about it is that there's sort of surrealism in it as well. I think that's why it really stuck with me as opposed to some other documentaries that I'd maybe seen or, or sort of um, Clio Barnard sort of yeah. who uses similar techniques. Um, just the things like the cow, that it's got a surrealism to it. It's almost like sort of some old fairy tale or something. Oh, like I was thinking of it cow. like the Wild West almost. Like he's yeah. come down, I mean, not quite, he's yeah, not riding he the cow, but he's kind of w walking it down quite a wide road yeah. into a, a kind of enclosed yeah. environment, which is what the Wild West, you know, kind of was, wasn't yeah. it? Those towns. And it's such a brilliant setup that as well, that first line of like, there's only one road in. And, um, and basically what it sets it up is this is its own universe, this place. It's got its own rules and it's its, it's, its own place. And there's no sort of um, presuppositions about who those characters are and what they're going to do. And, and, and that's what I love about it is it has a kind of freshness to it. You don't feel like, oh, now it's going to be gritty social realism that's going to really, you know, ram your head in, into that. It's yeah. sort of... Um, charms you basically yeah and it's quite um i was thinking about the you know the the with the scene with don right, right up in the in the uh, in the tree yeah. as well there's the, i mean obviously that's funny but it's very it is very filmic as well because i think initially because i'd seen it only on a small screen i wasn't thinking of it as so filmy if you sort of mean yeah. i was thinking of it more documentary and there are moments when it seems much more filmy than than most documentaries yeah it's definitely got those filmic moments I mean as I said like there are bits of horror that you know just watching it now having made films myself you know mm. 20 years later I did sort of go oh it's really clever she has a talky bit and then she has a visual bit and then she has a music bit and then she has a sad bit and I, I just think that's what filmmaking is that's my big revelation that I had like two years ago is you just go oh you just keep people on their toes basically and, and you uh, well also I mean I suppose from that you you allow the audience to have the intelligence to not have those conversations that you're having with commissioning editors like why are they talking to camera because actually audiences just go well they are yeah why would we worry about that it's not a I, I think I read an interview where Penny Walcock talked about her frustration with that that uh, once she started trying developing more scripted stuff um that she did have a bunch of commissioners going well why this and why that can you explain everything and it's so elliptical, this. is like you, you have to make these huge leaps. You, you know, you sort of go, oh, his name's Dom. Oh, he likes films. It's fine. You know, in, in the commissioning world, you might well have someone going, is it very realistic that he likes yeah. Oliver? Yeah. You know? Yeah. That he knows about stamps. Film. <laughs> yeah, that he's into stamps. And it's these sort of beautiful details, which are real-life details, which are anomalies, actually, that make life interesting and... And, and colourful, and sometimes that can get sort of stamped out by development and film development. So I could see why she had this joy of being able to make this film, that basically once she'd said, this is my methodology and this is these are non-actors, once you get the green light for that, then, wow, you can improvise, you know, you can... Yeah, that's interesting. A, There's a freedom, technique. isn't there, to that? Because you, what you say to the committee editors is, I'm telling these stories that I have got and you would not be able to get otherwise. Yeah, exactly. It's a USP kind of thing. And... 
weirdly, she could say, now I want to do exactly the same thing with actors. And she would have more trouble getting that away in, yeah. in a funny sort of way. Because, you know, improvisation is like a sort of a, a word of horror to, or, or it traditionally has been to commissioners because it just means they don't know what they're getting. Yeah. So, um, Which is interesting, of course, because you have come from that background. So I was actually thinking that I was interested that you picked this film obviously it's a great film but it's it's actually something that you in the vast array of things that you do this is not one of the things that you do <laughs> no. so you know you write scripts you act you improvise you do theater you do film you've directed films but you haven't I'm sorry but you haven't <laughs> done a scripted reality no I mean but when I watch this it's kind of one of the things that inspired me as an actress actually because I, I'm always trying to crawl towards reality you know and, and I'm always trying to devolve back in, into as an actress I'm always like I want to do a performance like that that to me is the zenith of yeah because uh, of uh, yeah because you don't know there. how real it is because obviously she's not called Tina yeah but it's so close it's so close and that's her real dad as well and many members of the actual family are sort of in the cast and things but to me like when I watch those these those sorts of directors like Shane Meadows and Paige yeah. Wolcott, to me, the performances they were getting out of people was what I aspired to as an actress when I was starting out. So, it, you know, that that always inspires... Reality always inspires me, I think. So, um, I don't know. I think... I think I don't think I'm... I think I'm more selfish than someone like Penny Wolcott. She's got a kind of anthropological interest that seems sort of philanthropic, and I think I'm a little bit more of a show-off. Than that. <laughs> <laughs> you want the camera on you? Yeah. Well, no, it's not. No, it's yeah, maybe. Um, <laughs> well, I don't know, but it's interesting because I remember going to some women in film sort of dinner, where they buy you a dinner, but they don't give you money to make a film. Um, but hey, lots of women <laughs> together. <laughs> you get to have a lovely time. Um, but basically, like this woman who was a big documentary producer, she was like, "Get into documentaries. You need to get into documentaries." you know, you need to get into documentaries. And I was like, the thing is, I feel like women are allowed to make documentaries because it's kind of like a midwife. I call it being a creative midwife where you're sort of helping someone else. Just you're sort see. of allowed, yeah, you're allowed if it's an admin role, but not if it's focusing on yourself. And, and, and when this lady said to me, why aren't you making documentaries? That was the response that I felt like. I was like, why, why do I have to do something that's helping people just because I'm a woman? Why do I have to be doing something that's saving the world or something? And I'm like, I'm just, you know, I'm just like any regular egomaniac film director. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be like, you know, all the other blokes that are like doing it because they fucking want to, you know. That is interesting. That's a very interesting <laughs> thing to, to, to kind of analyse as well. I mean, you know, if you think about uh, Tina Gershoff, because obviously... Tina's the hero, but we have a lot of different stories all the all, all the way going through. You know, I mean, there's a you know we could say that Aaron is a kind hero, not yeah, really. yeah. But um, that the fact that it's female led, I was thinking about it. That if you think about um, the Shane Meadows work, Shane Meadows work, there there are some that are female led, but it tends to be more ensemble really. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering about the idea of getting things away that are female led. That was twenty years ago. And you saying, oh, because it's a documentary, it's allowed. Maybe that's that's what I, I think. I think 
I don't know if it's statistically true, but I think there maybe are more female documentary makers um, proportionally mm. than there are, you know, say, you know, the percentage of documentary makers, there is a bigger percentage of women than directors. Well, directors are notoriously really small. It's only like about 8%, yeah. I think. Although, so, hopefully getting better. Yeah, so in terms of like, yeah, you can get it away. And I do, yeah. I do think it's interesting that Carol Morley and Clio Barnard and Penny Wilcock mm. started from a documentary background and then have gone into features. Yeah. And that's been their way in. And um, personally, I don't know anything about documentaries as well. So someone's saying it to you, like, we well, you should do that. And I'm like... I don't know anything about that. I've been making you know. things up for a really long <laughs> yeah, time. Exactly. <laughs> so to me, they're very different disciplines, but something like this is the closest thing, I guess. And um, I, I would love to use non-actors, actually, if, if if that were an easy option. It's not yeah. often um, because people want their... They, you know, they think it's a sort of stamp of insurance if, if people have done stuff before and... The bigger budgets you get, the more that becomes true. That they're like, oh, they've got to have been in lots of stuff before. We're not going to let you use a newbie unless it's like a five-year-old actor or something, in which case it's allowed. But um, I love I love actors that have not got training. Basically, I, I'm not trained as an actor, and I have no idea what I'm doing <laughs> to this day. But How I love you, it. So it's, I think that's quite interesting because I know a few <laughs> people that are not trained as actors, and indeed some of us are not trained as journalists. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, do you think when you when you're dealing with and when you are yourself as somebody who's not trained when you're looking at performance what is it that you like about someone that is not trained as an actor um it's difficult to say i mean i often watch stuff on telly and i just think everyone's a crap actor i do and i Sometimes it's stuff that I go for castings for and I don't get it. And then I watch it and I'm like, oh, everyone's awful. It's fine. <laughs> I'm just too good for it. But um, Do you mean like too big? I think too big. If I see any, I'm very, I, I, I love watching people and I'm really nosy and I love armchair psychology. And I feel like the twitch of someone's eye, I've, I've got their number. Do you know what I mean? And... For me, when an actor's doing a big performance, I'm like, what the <laughs> hell are they doing? So that kind of lack of self-consciousness and, you know, un unself-awareness, that's the point I'm trying to get to. That's like the sweet spot as an actor that I'm like, I'm trying to forget that I'm an actor. I'm trying to be real. I'm trying to, you know, so that you get some truth. I, it, it's just a taste thing. Some yeah. people are completely opposite. I mean, obviously, there'll be some stuff that you go, well, it's stylized, so you're doing a stylized performance, and I can get with that. That's that's fine, but it's when people, when you're supposed to be believing in someone, and they're doing this, something they would never do in real life, and like that, and I'm just like, oh, I hate them. I just don't like them. No. Yeah, <laughs> they're walking funny. Yeah, Why are they walking over there in such a way. Yeah, I like vulnerability as well. I don't like people that are overconfident. You know, I like someone coming in and being nervous and not being sure and because life isn't scripted so none of us are sure what we're doing you know at any one time so someone coming in and there being this tension and this nervousness I love that in in a performance and when you do you watch yourself back because I know some actors don't watch themselves at all I guess you were like that I rarely even watch stuff that I'm in like people go <laughs> bandersnatch well done and I'm like I haven't watched it but it's fine <laughs> I, I actually just pretend that I have <laughs> um, quite a lot of people to analyse I don't it can, sometimes that can really offend people because they're like 
my wonderful piece of work that you haven't watched. And I'm just like, I don't, um, I don't think I get any better from watching myself because I think then I'll just get more self-conscious and I don't, I start second guessing. Okay, so then, then the obvious question after that is how was it doing Prevenge then? Because Prevenge you wrote and you directed in it and you're in it. So then you have to look at yourself. There's no way you can get away from that. No, I couldn't. Uh, I just had to have an editor that I really trusted. Um, what well, you were like this? Yeah, yes. <laughs> what, what am I doing now? What is she doing? <laughs> Can you cut it? <laughs> well, actually, I mean that probably helped because I did have to get over it, and and there was enough distraction where I'm looking at everything to not be just looking at myself. But I did have to just trust him, and and I, you know, I'd sort of go, oh, I'm awful in this. Is there another take? <laughs> no, there is, and, and he'd go no. He'd have to go no, no, no. You, this is good. What you're doing is good. And I'd go really, okay. And I just have to go with that. So I feel like we should kind of slightly rewind to um, <coughs> your earlier days in your career. So um, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about, I suppose, about comedy and improvisation and the stuff that you did live work before doing uh telework and film work and stuff like that and what that you think that gives to you as a kind of skill set when you go into film um well so I started off in quite a weird way in that I was and I said use the words experimental theatre <laughs> yes <laughs> yes so I started doing experimental theatre and um what's the difference between experimental theatre and non-normal theatre um no script I don't know, actually, really. Um, I think experimental is probably, uh, yeah, there might not be any script. There might be more physical stuff. There might be more visual sort of... What, you fall over? a bit weirder. Yeah, yeah, you might fall over. It's sort of like, you know, people going, oh, look at this suitcase, it's the moon. Stuff like that. (laughs) That's why I'm not in it anymore. (laughs) took the piss out of it too much no I did I so I was doing uh, experimental theatre I was working with people like Paul King who now directs uh, Paddington and Paddington 2 and um, less experimental yeah less experimental although I think that you can see his roots actually because the stuff in it that you know is is more out there than you think that he sort of fought to have in there um but I started working with him and I was in a theatre company with him and it was sort of devised and we were coming up with ideas and writing characters and um then he was friends with Richard Ayoade and Matt Holness and they were doing this Edinburgh comedy show and they said to Paul we need a director and we need a woman to be in it and um would Alice like to be in it and um and one of the reasons they stated I say I remember was that I'd not done any comedy before (laughs) (laughs) and they didn't want anyone who'd done comedy and so because um, they, you know, they uh, anyway. So I, I agreed to do that, and um, on the condition you would never be funny. Well, maybe they hoped that, but it turns out unintentionally that I'm a comedy genius. <laughs> uh, <laughs> whoops, whoops. Um, no, but uh, I, I, I'd always liked comedy. I'd always, you know, even with Paul in Paul King stuff, there'd been funny stuff, but it'd just yeah. be more of a mixture of weird, horror-y, spooky stuff you know and and funny and whatever and um so I did this show called Garth Marenghi's Dark Place which I had no idea what it was when I first did it I was like these guys are crazy I don't really know what they're trying to do 
Um, but then we did it at the stage show and it went to Edinburgh and it got Perrier nominated and then the next year we won the Perrier, yeah. um, which was huge because we were only in our early 20s. So um, it was a big deal. And then suddenly I went from being a sort of um, slightly useless person in London who's temping to having an acting agent, which sort of almost happened overnight because yeah. of that, um, which was without any plan from me. I had no plan. I didn't know what I was doing. And then I started getting bit part work in sitcoms and stuff like that. But I found that sort of, a, I guess, was not really fulfilling me. Um, and so I started making short films on the side with a director friend of mine called Jacqueline Wright. Yeah. And um, that just spiralled into making more film stuff. And the film stuff was really where I felt, was feeling more creatively fulfilled because it suddenly dawned on me that film, you can mix everything that I love. So you can mix music, sound, sad, happy, violence, crying, laughing, da, da, da. whereas TV was like, make us laugh, or that's it. You know, it has to be just constant. Yeah, genre, in a genre. Yeah, yeah it's very pigeonholed like that. Yeah, and also, I mean, it's giving you a control over stories as well. Yeah. And one of the things, I mean, I, you know, I kind of feel like because we've watched shopping, we sh I should also slightly draw parallels, but, uh, the interesting thing about Penny, which is a similar thing to you, is she has had lots of different uh, interests, but she is drawn to things that she feels passionate about, otherwise she can't really do it. Mm. You, know, she, you know, it takes a lot of effort to be embedded in a community and to make something like that. Yeah. And it seems to me that if you have all the talents that you have, you're only really going to be motivated to do something that you're really bothered about. Well, it turns out that that is true. Because <laughs> otherwise, um, you're going to be doing, you know, much as I love horrible histories and I love horrible <laughs> histories, you know, you'll be hopping between horrible histories and Garth Marenghi and lots of different, you'll be a working actor, which is slightly different. Yeah. Well, I realised that I wasn't really an actor. You know, I shouldn't really say this because my agent's over there. But, um, <laughs> She's <laughs> but, a fabulous, fabulous actor. <laughs> but I realised that actually I can't, I'm not one of these people that can just do it. I, you know, I, if someone says you want to do this play and if I don't really, really care about it, I'll just be like, I can't be bothered. I can't be bothered. And, that, and that means I'm not really an actor because an actor should be like a sort of soldier to the cause, you know, that just mm. goes, I will go out there and I shall make this role worketh. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't really do that. I'm sort of like, I think that role's a bit crap. I don't want to do it. And like, so <laughs> it's not that it's crap. It's really well written, but I just don't like her. <laughs> or whatever I just I my emo emotions get too involved in it and um and it also turns out that the best work that you do is actually when you're passionate about it anyway so which you know sounds obvious but uh but I think it really you know when I did Prevenge for example it was like um something I was very scared of doing of directing a feature film and writing it and start you know starring it. it was but it was a big thing to direct a feature film and when I did it, I was like, why didn't I do this earlier? You know, it's... And why did you feel... I mean, also, we need to mention that you were seven and a half months pregnant. Yes. So yeah. that is quite a, a feat, because it's just at that point where you get really knackered. <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't have a re really chance to find that out until it was too late. Um, <laughs> um, well, it was all an accident, really, because um, I'd been developing a film with Film 4, and uh, so I did Sightseers, quick skip through made a feature film, Sightseers, and after that I thought, brilliant, uh, this has won some awards, I'm going to find it so easy to make loads of feature films now. And I was developing something with Film 4 and it was just dragging on. And um, 
loads of really weird things happen like my script editor got hit by a, by a cyclist and put in intensive care and my producer left to be, work for the BFI and, and there was just loads of weird stuff and, and I got pregnant and I was just like this isn't going to happen this is not going to work and so I gave up on that project really and um then this producer came to this director came to me, Jamie Adams, who I did a film called Black Mountain Poets with, mm. and he does all improvised films. It's just completely improvised. <coughs> he came to me and said, <coughs> "I've got some money to make a film. Have you got anything? Do you want to do anything?" And I was like, "No, I'm pregnant, Jamie, and my life's over, and I can't really <laughs> do anything. I'm useless. I'm generally useless. So you'd better just leave me here to die." And um, and he was like, okay, like that. And then um, he never says no, Jamie. Like, I do, you know, have a lot of admiration for him, but he's really annoying. Um, he just doesn't, he just keeps at you. And he just sent me another message on Facebook going, have you got anything for Cara Delevingne? And he wants me to write a bloody rom-com script for Cara Delevingne. And I just was like, Jamie, if I'm going to write for 50 quid a script for someone, it will be for myself because <laughs> I am pregnant and I may never work again. I'm not going to write off a car of bloody Delavine unless you've got a spare 80 grand lying around. You know, I'm going to write something for myself. It's going to be a vehicle for me and it's going to be about my career if I'm going to do it. And he went, okay, let's do that then. And I was just like, oh, shit. <laughs> and, um, and then I went away and I, I sort of went, well, I have okay, I've got this side. What, what about this? And I, I just came up with the thing in like overnight and sent it to him. And he was like, I've sent it to the production company. They love it. They want to make it. And so, and um, then it happened. It's very interesting, I think, because if something happens, you know, you're talking about the previous project kind of not really being written in the stars. Then yeah. if, you, if something happens and people like it, it happens very quickly, doesn't yeah. it? Suddenly the doors go open like that. Yeah, it's really weird. It's like... Yes, yeah, a very easy birth. Not yeah. a huge better gesture there. Like it's like yeah. the easiest birth. Baby well. and film. Yes. <laughs> no, but it is so it is so weird. It is when something's meant to be, it just happened really quickly. I mean, I say that, but then actually Sightseers was like seven years in the making. So that was not an easy labour uh to carry on the metaphor. But um but yeah, it 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 just happened. And it and it also just made me go, I'm good at stuff when it's spontaneous and when, when it's, it's quick. Fast. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. the obvious thing to ask then is you've you've done uh, Bandersnatch things that, uh, and um, other work as well, but do you want to just quickly talk about anything that you've got coming up? Or um, so I now you have given birth to a film and a baby. <laughs> yes, um, so I'm about to film another film this summer, my second feature as a director called Time Stalker. Um, I'm also about to appear in a film called Eternal Beauty with Sally Hawkins and Billy Piper and lots of other brilliant people that was directed by Craig Roberts. Um, and what's it about? Are you allowed to give a kind of... It's sort of about um, mental health and it's this um, woman who um, is schizophrenic and um, it's about her family dealing with the, the fallout of that. That sounds really grim, but it's actually like this beautifully technicolour, surreal... Uh, film. I've, I haven't seen all of it. I've only seen tiny bits of it, but um, I think it's going to be really like out there, and it's sort of a happy film. I don't think yeah. it's going to be like grim and depressing. Um, yeah, it looks really amazing. Um, 
Yeah, uh, Black Mirror, if you haven't watched it yet. I know I'm <laughs> going to go home and watch it. <laughs> you have to keep pressing the button, so. You, yeah, you also talk, actually, you, I mean, you've forgotten to mention, I have to say, but The Days of the Bagnold, is that right? Yes, The Days of Bagnold Summer, um, which is Simon Bird's um, feature directorial debut from uh, The Inbetweeners, and it's with Monica Dolan, who I have a lot of admiration for. Yeah. for. She's a brilliant actress. And that should be really funny. I play her sister. I keep playing people's sisters. I don't know what it's about. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> One day you'll be allowed to play your own with a sister. Yeah, yeah. Play my own sister. Uh, yeah. What? Um, so I think you said something earlier on about wanting to be involved in um, different material crawling back to reality. Um, I thought that was a really interesting statement to make, especially since I think earlier in your career as well with the short film you were involved in, I thought it was really true, but you also seem to love the surreal and kind of a magic realism and all of that. So I was thinking in the kind of pre-production stages and the initial stages, how do you kind of balance the two? How do you crawl back to reality and also bring in so many crazy, surreal, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> kind of moments? It's it's funny because um, I, I, I do, I, I either like realism or I like surrealism, but <laughs> it's somewhere. But I, I think that... Um, in childhood, I wanted magic to be real and I wanted fantasy to be real. And then I had the sharp wake-up call of magic not being real. And I think that's the secret to all of the comedy that I do, basically, is that bubble-popping moment. It is a bit like Tina in her wedding dress seeing, you know, Aaron in his goggles covered in blood. I mean... Um, I sort of like to think, even if I played a goblin or something, that goblin would have emotional truth. <laughs> it's like, I think there always has to be truth in stuff. It doesn't matter how fantastical it is. The emotion has to be truthful and it has to be humane and from humanity and stuff. And actually that enables you to tell a story about an alien. Like any story about an alien is is about humanity, you know, like any sci-fi thing is about what it is to be a human being. And um, and I think I, visually for me, like the surreal, it, it sort of captures something, you know, that striking images and stuff that, um, you know, I don't like stuff to be too boring, basically. I, I'm sort of delighted that, I, li I like to mix it up. So, it, it, you know, if you've got something that looks like social realism, then you have something crazy happening within it which is why I like this it's like that that visual those visual splashes that wake you up and you're like this isn't just a kitchen sink drama it's got a cow in the sink yeah. there's a cow's head in the sink so it's like it spices it up but I I mean I don't see it as a it is a conf it seems like a conflict those two two different things but actually I think it's what I like to go between you know it's interesting as well because actually that's true of if you if you think about kind of horror or something like that, that's, I mean, the, the whole point is it's within a real environment yeah. and then something strange happens. Yeah. And if, you know, if you were to tell the story of Tina goes shopping to somebody and you go, and at one point there is a dead cat, <laughs> just remember, and there's blood all over the, over the walls and everywhere. Yeah. And she's in a wedding dress. And those things are, you know, logical. We followed the story all the way through. And yet that you're left with this absolutely mad image, really, aren't we? Yeah. I do think like most fairy tales or most as you say, horror, um, it's like you start with a reality before you go into 
the surreality and it's kind of a payoff if you sort of uh, you have to earn those moments and earn the magic you by, have to earn the logic of the magic don't you? yeah you yeah. sort of have to bed in the the reality and, and and earn it earn the trust of the audience before you take the rug from under their feet sort of thing it's like you know narnia or anything if it just started with the wardrobe and the, you know mr tumnus it wouldn't be as good if there wasn't like some kids going, we're really bored for ages, loads of pages. <laughs> God, they're still really bored. Yeah, still really bored. Still bored. Still bored. But yeah, I, I think all of that sort of pacing is, is really important. And, uh, I think a bit of the answer to my question is already in what you've been talking about. Um, so hopefully maybe it's a nice segue. Um, uh, yeah, watching Tina go shopping, um, and then also listening to you. The there are these loads. I was thinking about. I was like, yeah, there's loads of these really um, heavy, dramatic, serious, like you know, almost gut wrenching. Well, maybe not gut wrenching, but really serious moments. Completely cut up by a very, very co- comedic moment. And yeah, I suppose my question is. Um, and I'm sure the answer is yes, because you said you preferred film to television, which is just funny, 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 funny. Um, do, do you, when you write things, do you try and find that? Do you use that? Is it something that you're conscious of? Do you, because watching that, I was like, yeah, that that works. Um, yeah, is, is that is that something that you try and write in? Um, and yeah, just your thoughts on it, I guess. Definitely. I mean, I think it's interesting because I think TV is becoming more open to these kind of mixing of the genres and, and mixing of different things because um, I've had loads of meetings recently with TV people going, we want what you do. And um, that wasn't true like five or ten years ago. It's like, you know, people are talking about Killing Eve a lot. Mm. And I'm like, well... You know, we we tried to pitch um, sightseers as as a TV thing, like God, like nearly fifteen years ago, and um, they everyone said it's really funny, but we just can't have comedy and violence on screen together. We just can't do it. And do you think it's complaints. Do you think that's changed because there's more players and the you know more television commissioner players now, Definitely. so people can experiment more because they're almost competing. It's, it's to do with Netflix, uh, mm. uh, definitely. I mean, that competition was always there because even when we st- did uh, Sightseers, we were like, well, Dexter, you know, mm. which has got funny moments but also very dark, you know. And um, uh, so American TV was already doing it. I also think we're very departmentalised in the UK. So the BBC's got a comedy department and a drama department. And you, I used to have like meetings where they go, yeah, we like this, but it's a comedy. And then you go to the drama department, the uh, comedy department, they'd be like, no, this is a comedy drama. Oh, I've got it wrong. Yeah. You know what I mean. Um, and and they're really ch- changing that now because I think, yeah, Netflix, you can tag things. So things can be both comedy and horror. Do you know what I mean? You so put a little... They're Venn diagrams. Yeah. And horror. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So everything sort of is blurring together and uh, mixing and... Have you got a sense cool. that things are commissioned quicker? Because somebody said to me that because... Um, what used to happen is that a lot of projects used to get stuck in development because yeah. so they would be passed around different departments in the BBC or other, you know, Channel 4 or whatever, and that now things are happening more quickly because people are saying, OK, actually, if you don't want it, I'll just take it somewhere else. I think that's 
probably true, yeah. And I think people are also realising that the freshness of an idea is really important now, that if you don't do it, someone else is going to do it. And I think if I'd waited to do Prevenge a year later even, if I'd gone, no, I'm not going to do it while pregnant, I'll use the experiences I have now in a year's time, I think it wouldn't have been as fresh. And, and there would it would have been competing with many more yeah. other things. I mean, you know, we had a bright red poster uh, with a pregnant woman in a red dress and you know Handmaid's Tale came out like a year later so people would have possibly been looking at the poster going oh it's a bit Handmaid's Tale yeah that might have been a good thing might have been a bad thing but do you know what I mean like um, the fact that we move so quickly with Prevenge and the fact that people responded to it, it I don't think it's a perfect film by any means but I think the punch that it has is is, is powerful because it would hit at the right time and um and people are realising that, 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 you know, if, if a project's going to have an impact, you can't dither around. Yeah, you can't wait ages. 15 years. Yeah, so yeah. I'm, I'm really feeling that. I'm getting, The stuff that I'm developing now, like, all the producers are like, yeah, yeah, can you send it to us next week? Can you, can you, can you, can you, because they, they want to get it out there and they're worried that, they're worried that if this, their idea doesn't go ahead that I'm doing with this production company that, Maybe yeah. yeah, that's amazing so, though, because traditionally, obviously, they would do it, and then they would say, mm, and go back with some changes, and you'd literally, you know, kind of change the font and send it back, and they go, oh yes, <laughs> that's much better. Well, I mean, I'm sort of that literally happened to a friend of mine. That's why I'm using it as an example. Yeah, I mean, I hope it. I hope it would be that quick. Um, I do think that maybe, maybe it was always that that way, and I just haven't been in the right place at the right time. But I do feel like the the work that I've been doing for a long time is in vogue now um long may it stay in vogue <laughs> as it goes out of vogue no but um yeah I I, I feel like it's it, they are opening I, and I know that this is true that the BBC know that they have to evolve a little bit more yeah in terms of their drama remit because they know they're not quite competing with other I mean they've had some really big successes but they want to pursue those and sort of expand on it so that's good news for me yeah i was just wondering about the, the character tina and tina goes shopping and um she I don't this, like your question she has this now. innocent <laughs> quality <laughs> um you know she's kind of like very calm on the outside and then um you know she does all of these really interesting things and i was thinking of the character tina in sightseers and she's quite innocent at the beginning and then becomes a psychopath and I just wondered if... Um, and they're both that, called Tina. Yeah, yeah and they're both called Tina. I just wondered if that was, you know, it's a link I made as a viewer. I mean, I just... if there was any relation, I am not conscious of it. Um, I think this has gone way back. I mean, I don't even so think... It might be somewhere in your back. Somewhere it in might your... be somewhere in the back. I mean, I always think that I called T my Tina, Tina, after uh, my cousin's ex-girlfriend because Tina just sounds funny in a Birmingham accent. <laughs> <laughs> Tina. Um, so that's why we called her Tina. But um, that's the uh, that's unofficial. Uh, but, yeah, maybe. I mean, there might be something that I admire about the sort of, as I said, like that very, um, to me, it's realism. Some people say it's deadpan. People often say that to me. They're like, oh, your performances are so deadpan. And I'm like, I'm doing loads. There's loads <laughs> going on, you know. Because to me, most people hide their feelings like 99% of the time. Like, and that's the other thing with actors, that they're like, showing everything, you know. And I'm like, most people, if they want to cry, they're trying not to, you know. 
and it or if they're angry they're holding it back before it explodes yeah and so it's just about a smallness to me um I, you know I'm not sort of trying to like do nothing really <laughs> although it might seem that way sometimes I'm, I'm like working with directors and I'm like bring the camera nearer <laughs> you see what I'm doing my yeah, eyes. <laughs> yeah yeah but, you know that's just because I'm vain <laughs> I, excuse me um you talked about how difficult it is to commission things and you know the dinners where you get a meal paid for but you wouldn't get anything in return if someone was to write you a blank check have you got any sort of projects that you'd like to do well the next one is i'm very happy for anyone to buy, write me a blank check for <laughs> the next film but um yeah i mean i don't i don't um I don't um, have any limit on, on what I would like to do, really. I mean, I, I don't probably want to direct other people's things because I just don't understand them as much as I understand my own stuff. I read a script and I just don't... I can't get it into my head as much as my That's own That's similar to what you're saying about acting, though, isn't it? Then it means that you're not a director for hire and you're not an actor for hire. No. You have to yeah, work I on mean, your own things. Yeah, I might make an exception for that, but um, the stuff that I'm doing is quite big in my head it's big you know it's quite big so I don't have this sort of I think it's very interesting with Penny Walcock I don't know if it's her own out of her own choosing but I kind of feel like she should be Shane Meadows now and she should have like a complete blank slate from Channel 4 or whoever to make whatever the hell she wants but she, I don't think she does but maybe that's because she doesn't want to and she's like I made that now I'm gonna go and make this and maybe she's not that interested in courting attention or, or sort of publicity or whatever but um maybe it's out of her control but I, I kind of feel like I would like to I'd like to be making Kubrick scale films basically and have that level of budget and uh but for the things that I want to do or whether that would ever happen or not I don't know but um I don't have a sort of I don't want to make small films I want to make big films basically but you know the reality of, of that is probably I would maybe get a sniff at a Marvel film or something like that. And I don't think I want to do that either. So I just keep it's rude, basically. Let's <laughs> <laughs> make stuff and see what I can get away with, basically. That sounds pretty good. <laughs> You've been a lovely audience. It's been um, very nice talking to you all. I like, I like your vibe. It's very nice. <laughs> and it's been lovely talking to the fabulous Alice Black. Oh, thank you for coming. <laughs>